Thanks, Rob. Uh, Morena, church family. My name is Matthias. Um, I'll be reading uh, from God's Word this morning. Um, uh, can you please open your Bibles to 1 John chapter 2? And we're looking at verses 28 to chapter 3, verse 10. Once again, that's 1 John 2, verse 8 to chapter 3, verse, sorry, verse 28 to chapter 3, verse 10. 1 John 2, 28 to 3, verse 10. It can be found on page 155 in the church Bibles. Let me pray before again. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that you're a God who speaks to us. We ask, Lord, that you would help us to listen to your word to, to us this morning. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. And now, dear children, continue in him, so that when he appears we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves, just as he is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin, because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are, and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. Good morning. Uh, Welcome to Cedar Hill. My name's Andrew. I'm one of the pastors here. It's great that you can join us. Uh, Hopefully you can keep your Bible open to 1 John. Uh, That passage is going to take a little bit of explaining if you're paying attention. Um, And so uh, please have that open. Rob did mention that we are having a lunch and he called for people to bring stuff, which would be great uh, for you to bring stuff for the lunch. You're also invited to the lunch, like, so please come along and plan to be here for it as well. Uh, don't just think, oh, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not bringing anything, so I'll go uh, and not come. Uh, please come. We'd love to, you to join us as we celebrate uh, eight years uh, as a church family. Uh, it's always a little bit weird as to working out the day that we have our birthday because it's eight years ago that we planted, well, that we launched as City on a Hill, but that was kind of 18 months since we started the preparation process uh, for planting, which was back uh, in, a- in uh, May 2014. But City on a Hill itself, eight years next Sunday, so please come uh, for the party. Uh, it'll be uh, church as usual, but then uh, followed by a big lunch afterwards, so it'll be great. Uh, let's pray as we uh, get stuck into this part of God's Word, so will you pray with me? 
Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, so much that we can uh, meet here this morning and that we can uh, hear what you have to say. Uh, Lord, we pray that you might give us uh, clarity of uh, mind and hearts uh, to be transformed by your word. Lord, even though it is an uncomfortable passage, we pray that you might bring comfort from this passage, bring certainty, bring the hope of knowing that we are your children. And we pray all these things in the great name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, Now, the internet has gifted us many wonderful things over the years, uh, and one of my personal favourites is a website called awkwardfamilyphotos.com. Uh, Now, awkwardfamilyphotos.com is the fruit of whatever happened in the 80s when someone piped up and said, you know what, it'd be great if we got some family photos taken, Uh, and this is what appeared. Uh, When you look at awkwardfamilyphotos.com, you can often see a family likeness, can't you? Some families have the same hair, Uh, some families like to wear the same clothes, Uh, some families are into the same colours, it seems that there's quite a few families that have a love of cats. And cats, and cats, Uh, there should be a few, here we go, what is going on there? Um, Some families like doing the same things together, like going to the beach, if we can get there, there we go, everyone's at the beach, (laughs) loving every moment. Uh, Family likenesses, families looking the same, it's a thing, isn't it? Uh, You have a little baby and everyone gathers around and they say, oh, she's got mum's beautiful blue eyes, or look, he's got dad's bald head. Um, Looking at a child, you can see something of their parents. Uh, In this passage in 1 John, uh, it's all about the family likeness of the children of God. The family likeness of the children of God. See, if you're a child of God, if you're a brother or sister of Jesus Christ, that is not just a name you wear. It's not just a cute way of speaking. It is a profound theological truth. It is a present reality, this passage says, and it is a future certainty. It will be for all to see when Jesus returns. And this profound truth, this sharing in the family likeness, well, John reminds his readers of this reality at a time where they're finding things really difficult. You see, the original readers of this letter, they had been left behind by a group who had moved on, who had gone out from them, and they had moved on from the message taught by Paul and the other, uh, by John and the other apostles. And they had moved on from Jesus, and they had moved on from wrestling with sin. And now they moved on, but they still claimed to be the true heirs of God, that they, they were the ones who were the real children of God. And so those who remained, well, they're left feeling all sorts of uncertain, feeling uneasy about where they stood compared to their enlightened neighbors. And so John writes this letter to them to give them confidence, to give them certainty that they are the children of God. Assurance that they will be the ones who inherit eternal life with all of God's people. And and to do this, John helps them recognize that there are two groups of people in the world. He identifies who the children of God are and who the departed, the children of the devil are. Uh, And to begin with, um, point one here, John assures them that the followers of Jesus are the children of God. The followers of Jesus are the children of God. Have a look there in chapter 3, verse 1. Chapter 3, verse 1, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that's what we are. The reason the world does not know us 
is that they did not know him. Now, do you hear the amazement in John's voice? How unbelievable is it that you and I, because of Jesus, we can call God, the God of the universe, our Father? It's sort of ridiculous that the God who spoke and everything that exists came into being, he spoke like that, and yet we can call him our Father. We can talk to him in prayer like, like a child talks to their dad. And it isn't just kind of granted to us or bestowed on us by some royal decree. No, it's God's love that's lavished on us. Uh, John is saying he is generous, bountiful, abundant, extravagant love poured out on his children to make them his children. And John wants to assure these timid believers of this reality, this lavish love, because it may not be obvious to them. It may not be obvious to those around them, uh, to those around them who are saying, you need to ditch Jesus. They're pressuring him. It doesn't matter how you live anymore. They're persecuting them for remaining faithful to the apostles' teaching. They're under all this pressure, and they'll be wondering whether they really belong to God. But John says, a time will come where it will be a clear for all to see. Verse 2, have a look at verse 2. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we, we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he really is. What John is saying is that uh, whatever the world might say, there will be a day where it will be instantly obvious to everyone, where it will be plain to see that the followers of Jesus are the children of God. And the reason that John can be so confident is because they bear the signs of the children of God. They share the family likeness. According to John, there's two ways. There are two signs of who the children of God are. There's two points to this family likeness. Uh, The first of the family likeness is their trust in the Lord Jesus. Uh, We see this, uh, just jumping back a little bit to chapter 2, verse 28. Uh, Chapter 2, verse 28, the first verse of our reading, uh, it says, And now, dear children, continue in him, so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. And then chapter 3, verse 3, All who have this hope in him, that is, this hope in Jesus, all who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. You see, the first sign that you're one of God's children is that you hope in him that you continue in him, that you trust in the Lord Jesus. And the second sign that we are part of this family is that we are trying to be more like Jesus. Uh, Verse 3 again, all who have this hope in him purify themselves, just as he is pure. Now, we're not yet like him. We're not yet as pure as Jesus is. Uh, John is honest about that. But this is the direction in which we're traveling. This is the, the thing that, to which we're striving, he says. If you're someone who trusts in Jesus, if you trust in his sacrifice, not your own efforts, and now it's your goal to be more and more like him, your goal to be more pure and holy and righteous as he is, well, John says you conform to the family likeness. You can be confident You can be assured that you are one of God's children. These two marks, trusting in Jesus, seeking to live like Jesus. They are the marks of the children of God, which is no small thing to be a child of God. 
I mean, sometimes we speak about uh, humanity being the children of God in kind of a very general way. You know, every man, woman and child, we're all made by God. So we're all God's children because we were created by him. But, you know, the Bible never speaks like that. It's a nice idea, but the Bible doesn't talk like that. According to the Bible, the children of God, they are a special subset of all humanity. They are a special group whom God has lavished his gracious and abundant love upon them. And being a child of God, it is no small thing. Uh, J.R. Packer, the Anglican theologian, he said this about being a, a child of God. He said, adoption, that is being made a child. Adoption is the highest privilege that the gospel offers. Higher even than justification. He goes on and he says, closeness, affection, generosity, they are the heart of the relationship. To be right with the God, to be right with Uh, God the judge, that is justification, that is a great thing. But to be loved and cared for by God the Father, adoption, that is even greater. And Packer's right, isn't he? It's an extraordinary position we find ourselves in. We are not just creatures of God. We are not just servants of God. We are not even merely friends with God God calls us his children. He hears our cries. We call him Abba, Father, the most intimate of names. As I was reading this week, this, uh, reading about this this week, it reminded me of a photo uh, of the Oval Office in the White House. Uh, and in this photo, there is President John F. Kennedy, uh, the most powerful man on the planet, and he's surrounded by his many advisors. And yet crawling out from underneath the resolute desk is a small JFK Jr. All the high-powered men in the room, they call the president, sir. They do what he orders. They come and go at his beck and call, the most powerful people in the country. They are under his control. But Jr., he's there playing under the desk, isn't he? He doesn't call the president, sir. He calls him dad. He's not just got his ear when he's got important information to share. He's got his heart and his affection as well. And that is us with the God of the universe. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you trust in him, if you're seeking to be like him, then the richest and clearest and most profound answer as to who you are You are a child of God. He is your Father. Verse 1 again. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. And for this group of believers, they're under pressure. They're questioning whether following Jesus is the right idea, whether it's worth the cost, wondering about those who've abandoned Jesus. John says, with absolute certainty... You are God's child. If you trust in Jesus, if you seek to be more like Jesus, then stay right where you are. In Christ, part of God's family. But they must have been wondering about those who had left, those who had abandoned uh, John and his teaching. Uh, What about them? Whose children are they? Well, John here says they are children of the devil. 
Now that sounds harsh, but look with me at chapter 3, verse 10. Uh, chapter 3, verse 10. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. Now that language there, children of the devil, it sounds pretty full on. Um, if, uh, if you saw someone in the street walking around saying, you're a child of the devil, you're a child of the devil, and calling that out to anyone they met, you'd probably want to distance yourself from that person. You probably want to, you know, that's not kind of what we're on about. Um, just like last week, John was talking about antichrists and children of the devil. It makes us think of horror movies and pitchforks and flaming red eyes. Uh, but what John is doing here is actually just re- revealing to us the reality of the world in which we live. Now, we like to think that in the world there are three groups of people. That's generally how we think. We, we think there's Christians, there's those, the followers of Jesus, the children of God. Uh, and then there's a small group of evil people, murderers bank robbers, uh, terrorists, people who drink turmeric lattes, those evil people. And then there's this third group in the middle who, who occupy this kind of contested middle ground. And they're, they're not the people of God, but they're not evil people as well. They're just kind of neutral in the middle. And so we think that mission is like this big game of hungry, hungry hippos where we're just trying to, God's people are trying to snap up as many of these neutral people as possible as they bounce around before the evil one gets them. But the Bible doesn't see the world like that. According to the Bible, the world is binary. There are those who trust in Jesus. They are God's children. And there are those who don't trust in Jesus. Those who live in rebellion to their maker. Those who follow the lead of the devil, the original deceiver. See, ever since the opening chapters of the Bible, the devil has had those who follow him. And do you want to know who they are? They're those who doubt God's word. Did God really say? They're those who distrust God's truth. You will not certainly die. They're those who deny God's goodness. When you eat, your eyes, they'll be opened. Doubting God's word, distrusting God's truth, Denying his goodness. The devil has been doing that since the beginning. And John says, those who follow in his footsteps, they are his children. And John gives us two identifying marks of those who are children of the devil. Uh, First, they oppose Jesus. And we're going to borrow a little bit from last week, chapter 2, verse 22. Uh, John wrote, who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. So the first mark of those who are children of the devil are those who oppose and reject Jesus. Those who refuse to trust in Jesus. Those who do not believe that Jesus is God's promised King. That's the first mark that they don't belong to the Father. And there's also this second mark. They are those who do what is sinful. Have a look there in verse 8. Chapter 3, verse 8. Chapter 3, verse 8. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil. Because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. You can see John is only setting out two groups of people. There are two sets of children. 
On the one side is sin and, 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 and the way of living that belongs to the devil. And on the other side, you have the Son of God uh, and Jesus who came to destroy the devil's work. And you have, verse 7, those who, who do righteousness. They are children of God. And these two are in direct opposition to each other. They are opposed to each other. There is no overlap. There is no contested middle ground. There are two distinct, distinct groups of people. There are two families. The children of God and the children of the devil. They have two heroes. The son of God and the serpent. And they have two modes of living. Righteousness. And a life of sin. And so John's point here is very simple. Do you want to find out who the children of the devil are? Well, look for those who stand against Jesus. Those who refuse to trust in Jesus. Those who say they have no need for Jesus. Those who refuse to live like Jesus. And continue in sin. And do you want to find the children of God? Well, look for those who hope in Jesus. Look for those who strive to not sin. Look for those who work righteousness. And John sums it up for us there in verse 10, doesn't he? Verse 10, this is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of devil are, the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. Now, John's really clear. Anyone who sins, well, they cannot be born of God. Now, uh, I'm always a little bit daunted when I open a Bible commentary to help me prepare my sermon, and uh, they say, this is one of the hardest passages to understand in the New Testament. Here's seven possible interpretations for these verses. Um, John's clear, but how do we make sense of it? Now, John here is trying to assure Christians that they are children of God. To make them feel confident and comfortable and have hope. Uh, But yet, most Christians read this uh, and feel less sure. Feel more uncertain. Um, So has John failed? No, I don't think so. Uh, But we need to work out how to reconcile these verses with what John is saying and what we experience. Uh, Because I think we all know we don't completely avoid sin. We don't completely live for righteousness. Now, some people over the years, they've read this and they've concluded that John is saying, true Christians ought to be able to be completely sinless. Uh, some Christians have read this and said, or some people have read this and they said that uh, Christians will never fail and will never sin. Uh, the great Baptist preacher uh, Charles Spurgeon met a teacher who said that he no longer struggled with sin. He said that he had reached a state of sinless perfection. Uh, now Spurgeon didn't really agree, but he didn't challenge him on the spot. What Spurgeon did was he waited until the next morning when the man was having his breakfast uh, and Spurgeon uh, crept up behind him with a big jug of milk And he poured the whole jug over the man's head as the whole room watched. And out of this perfect man gushed all manner of anger and rage and hostility and vulgar talk. Spurgeon had made his point. He'd actually made John's point from chapter 1. Chapter 1, verse 8, if we claim to be without sin, 
We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And verse 10 of chapter 1, if we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. Whatever John is saying here in chapter 3, he cannot be saying that there is a group of perfect, completely sinless people out there and they are the only ones who are the true children of God. That is not what John is saying. Uh, But, you know, there's two ways to fall off a horse. Uh, You can fall off the other side as well. Uh, uh, Some want to say these verses, uh, they they want to look at these verses and they want to soften them. They want to say that this this is just referring to kind of making a pattern of sin, like kind of getting into the habit of of sinning. And so so it's not really talking about like if you just, if you sin every now and then, but it's like kind of getting into the, just thinking that sin is okay sort of thing. Uh, And so it's like when you go to the doctor and the doctor might ask, how much alcohol do you drink in a week? And you put down the number uh, and you say to the doctor, look, I do drink, uh, but I wouldn't say that I'm a drinker. And so it's like saying I sin, but I wouldn't say that I'm a sinner. As though there's somehow like an acceptable level of of, of sin, like you can have uh, 10 standard sins a week and you're still kind of not an alcoholic type thing. Uh, No, John is being completely binary here. John says sin is lawlessness. And all lawlessness is of the devil. And all who are children of God, will they seek righteousness and they do not sin. And so he is saying that there is a massive chasm between the two. There is no overlap. There is no gray area. There's no fuzzy middle. So what I think John is saying is this. I think he's saying this. He's saying, uh, if you are a child of God, if you trust in Jesus, if you're seeking to live like Jesus, then... When it comes to internet pornography, there is no acceptable level of lust. It's all of the devil. If you struggle with anger, there is no acceptable level of unrighteous anger. There is no minimum threshold with pride. There's no kind of passable level of gossip. Like it's, a, it's, it's gossip, but if you kind of say, oh, let's pray at the end, then it suddenly like stops becoming gossip. It's, no, no, no. There is no lower limit you can sneak under when it comes to greed. John is saying it's all sin, it's all lawlessness, it's all of the devil, says John. But how do we make sense of it given our experience? How do we make sense of it given of chapter, what we read in chapter 1? Well, I think what John is doing here is he's trying to point to the inappropriateness of sin rather than the impossibility of sin for those who follow Jesus. The inappropriateness of sin is just completely inappropriate. It's completely out of character for someone who says they follow Jesus to continue in sin. Uh, It's so out of place. All sin, any sin, it's inappropriate. It's against our nature to sin if we are now the children of God. Uh, I remember a moment in uh, my first ever basketball game growing up. It was like under eights or something like that. Uh, and basketball, uh, the second half starts with a jump ball. Um, uh, and the jump ball, it kind of gets tapped straight to me. And uh, I dribbled the ball through the hole of the opposition team. I absolutely smoked them. I laid the ball up, scoring my first points of the game. I thought I was a hero. But my team was furious. I'd gone the wrong way. I'd scored in the wrong hoop. For that moment of madness, I was playing for the other team. It's a bit like what John is saying here when it comes to the people of God and sin. It's out of place. Because we're on the other team now. It's against our nature 
now that we are the children of God. It's a denial of who we are. It's a denial of what Jesus has done. It's a denial of the family that you're a part of. And so we just won't do it. We just won't accept it in our life. There'll be no acceptable threshold when it comes to rebelling against the God who made us and loves us. And so when temptation comes along and you're tempted to do something that you know is wrong, John is not saying whip out a list of rules and check the list of rules. Oh, yeah, there's the rule. I won't do it now. John is saying, no, no, hang on, hang on. That sort of behavior, that's not me anymore. That sort of selfishness, it's not me. That sort of bitterness and anger and laziness and lust and the inability to love and serve others, that's not me anymore. I'm a child of God and so I do not sin. That's who I am. And now John is not trying to kind of pull like a, a, a kind of corny visualization trick here. Uh, you know those kind of self-help courses that say uh, if you visualize something, uh, by visualizing it, it'll help you achieve it. So uh, picture yourself being successful and then like in time you'll become successful. Uh, picture yourself driving a red Ferrari and then at some point in time you'll be driving the red Ferrari. That's not what John is talking about here. He's not saying kind of visualize that you're a sinless person and then you'll become a sinless person. No, John is not doing that. John wants us to realize who we are now, not who we might become in the future. He wants us to realize who we already are. And, and when we realize who we already are, that's profoundly energizing. You see, this passage here about the children of God not sinning, it's not here to put a guilt trip on you. It's actually meant to enthuse you and encourage you and assure you to be obedient, to purify yourself, to live in righteousness. It's actually meant to assure you to live in righteousness because that's who you are. It's here to blow us away by showing us again and again the great love that God has lavished on us so that we can be called his children because that's who we are. So when temptation comes this week, and it will, when you feel the pull to give in to that lust or that bitterness or that laziness or that anger or that selfishness, when that moment comes, remember who you are. Remember who you are. Remember who you'll be shown to be when Jesus returns. Remember that you are a child of God and he has lavished his love on you. So live out that reality. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you have lavished on us love. Love in the form of a sacrifice of your son, Jesus Christ, who makes us righteous when we are not righteous. Who makes us your children when we were your enemies. And Lord, we thank you so much that you have brought us into your family. And Lord, we pray that this week and for the rest of our lives that we will live out who we are as your children, assured and certain 
that we have real and lasting hope because of Jesus. And we pray all these things in his name. Amen.